0: It's a very short reading this morning. We're only doing Mark 15, verses 37 and 38. 37 says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come and worship in your name. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to come in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Lord, I ask that you would bless this service that we are in the midst of, Lord. I pray that you would use uh, every part of it as something that would um, encourage us, Lord, as something that would lift us up, as something that would draw us near to you. Lord, I ask that we would tune our ears to what you would have uh, for us to hear today. Lord, that you would uh, affect our hearts in such a way that Uh, your word would be taken from here and applied to our lives. Lord, I pray for all of our church family who is not here today, uh, who can't make it here today for one reason or another. Lord, we pray for those who are going through different illnesses that they are battling and, and the treatments for those. Lord, we pray for those who have gone through surgeries and who are recovering. Lord, we ask that you would just bless them today. Lord, bring them healing, bring them comfort. Lord, allow them to experience your blessings today. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been talking about the cross last two weeks. We've been talking about not just the cross, but the implications of the cross. So what does it mean? What does the cross mean to us? In the first week, we talked about uh, all the different kinds of sacrifices that that Jesus on the cross took care of for us in our place. Last week, we talked about how it revealed Christ as royalty, how it revealed him as king. This week, we're talking about something that gets one sentence in the story of the cross. But it is huge when we talk about it in the sense of what it means for us. So, yes, we, we see our, our scripture reading there, all two verses. I think I may have set the record for short of scripture reading. But this is so important, and I don't want you to just gloss over it the next time you read this account. I want this to be something that makes you stop and take pause and try to understand what this means. So we're going to look at that today. Mark 15.38 says that the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. Without knowing really what's going on, that doesn't really make much of a difference to us. Oh, so they got to replace the tapestry. Happens, I guess. But what this curtain actually was, was something extremely important in the temple. And it actually goes back all the way before there even was a temple. They had this thing set up in the tabernacle as well, that Moses built. And there was was specific instructions for Moses about what this was supposed to look like, where it was supposed to go, and also what was supposed to be behind it. And that's the important part. Because behind it was the Ark of the Covenant. Behind it was the presence of God on earth. And the reason why you had to have a curtain there was because if you went in and saw it, it killed you. Exodus 26 tells us what it's supposed to look like. Leviticus 16 fills in the requirements for the high priest to even be able to go in there. We just said, you walk in there and you're not supposed to be there, you're dead. So the high priest is the only one allowed to go in there and he's allowed to go in there once a year. And he has a whole list of sacrifices he has to do first. And he has a whole list of rituals he has to do first. He even has to go take a bath first. They live in the desert. He's got to go get a bath before he's even allowed to go in this room. It's all ritualistic. He has to wear specific clothing to be able to go in. And if he does it wrong, he's in trouble. They used to tie a rope to the priest. And they said if that rope ever goes loose, pull him back. We need a new priest. It's important. That's what that's what we're, God is trying to tell us. It is important that when you come into my presence, you better be doing it right. You see cuz all of these things that the priest had to do was for his protection from God. And it doesn't make sense to us anymore. It doesn't make sense to us. Remember, two weeks ago, we talked about all those sacrifices that have been taken care of for us. So we don't have to wear the right clothes to come into God's presence. We don't have to do the right sacrifices to come into God's presence. We don't even have to take a shower anymore. It's still a good idea, but you don't have to. There's a few of you out there right now who are saying, Oh, God. You see, because the issue is that when you come into contact with God's glory, crazy things start happening. And those crazy things we don't always really know what to do with. Think of uh, back in Exodus 33, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he's getting all the Ten Commandments, and he comes down and his face is beaming because he got to see God's back. When he comes down off the mountain, people look at him and they go, I'm staying away from that guy. He's freaking me out. He scared people. And all he did was see God's back. Think of uh, in Matthew 17, the transfiguration, when, when Peter and John, they get to go and they see Jesus go up on the hill and he turns into his full glory. And he meets with Elijah and he meets with Moses, and Peter sees this and he loses his mind. He goes, Jesus, we gotta we gotta do stuff. We gotta build things. And Jesus is like, You're a fisherman, calm down. (laughs) You don't get it. Calm down. He took in God's glory and it blew his mind. He didn't know what to do with it anymore. Crazy things start happening. When you encounter God's glory. So much so that they had to put a curtain to block you from it. It's set set aside in a part of the tabernacle and then later in the temple that only one person was allowed to go into. Guys, this this was something. Think of this. You couldn't have just come to church like this and expected to be in the presence of God. You had to go and offer something. You had to be able to say, I hope God takes this. I hope God's okay with what I have to offer. And even then, some of you wouldn't have even have been allowed here. Women, raise your hand. Welcome. You weren't allowed here. Anyone non-Jewish? Everybody. You weren't allowed here. It took a very specific person to even be allowed in the sanctuary of the temple and an even more specific person to be allowed in God's presence. Everybody else had to rely on that guy. And then he would come back and say, this is what the Lord says. You had to rely on him. A human One guy. See, after the death of Christ, that curtain is now torn. After the death of Christ, God's glory is unleashed. After the death of Christ, we now have access to God. As a Gentile, I'm super excited about it. As a father of a daughter, I am super excited about that. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can step into the glory of God and not have to worry about destruction of ourselves. As something that used to require death, it's now something that brings life. As something that used to require sacrifice to be able to be a part of, now it brings you life. It's a new world. There is no barrier between you and God. There's no barrier between us and God's glory. We have a new world we're living in. If you have your Bibles, I want to get this a little bit more explained to you, uh, maybe even a little bit better than I even could, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, it's one of my favorites only because there's, there's enough mystery around it because we don't actually know who wrote it. If you read Hebrews and you read Paul's writings, you go, well, it's probably not Paul because I can actually understand Hebrews. <laughs> so, so there's a part of me that's like, I really hope it's like Barnabas who wrote it. I really hope it's like Apollos who wrote it because these are guys we heard of. I'm like, oh, I'd love to be able to hear from those guys, but we're never going to be able to know. In fact, we're going to, we'll end up in heaven at some point and it'll just be some random schmo who wrote Hebrews and I'll, oh well. But he's writing to the Hebrew people. He's writing to the Jews in the area. These are people who understand what that curtain was about. These are people who probably, when they found out about the curtain, they went, Oh, is the priest okay? Oh, man. These are people who understood what it meant to be on the wrong side of that curtain. So let's pick up. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Hebrews 10, verse 14. It says, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy, he being Jesus. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. That one's important. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. I'm going to read that one more time. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Emphasis was all mine. So now we can, as the writer says here, we can boldly go into the presence of God because of our perfect priest, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is God. He has covered us in his righteousness through the cross. So now that we don't require an earthly priest anymore to make us right with God, or for us to even commune with God, Or for there are no prerequisites to be in the presence of God because God, through Jesus, dealt with all of them. said, don't worry about it anymore. Just come. Those Those are all well and good. I just want you now. That's the whole purpose for that. I just want you now. So God says, here I am. I'm available now. Come. I'm ready to receive you. There's so much that can just be said right there. Maybe some of you in here right now are thinking, well, that sounds kind of good to me. I'd like that. And maybe you've never made a decision for Christ in your life up to this point. Stay with me. i got to talk to everybody else here, and then I'm coming back to you. So what are we supposed to do with this new ability? This is something new. This is new. In the grand scheme of the entire world, our ability to actually go into God's presence is new. So what are we supposed to do with it? Our Hebrew writer picks it back up. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What's he tell us to do? He says, go do it. Since we're now able to go into God's presence, what should we do? Go! Get into God's presence! Listen, this, this isn't something we have to worry about anymore. This isn't something that we have to go in with any kind of anxiety anymore. So you've got to th- think to yourself, well, well, goodness, what will happen? Peter went crazy. Everybody was afraid of Moses. I don't know that I should, I don't know. It seems like something, maybe something bad. Let me tell you, you're going to come out changed. You're not going to come out the same as you went in. It will be different. So what will happen when you encounter God's glory? Some parts of you might die. The flesh parts, as Paul calls, calls them. The old life, those old desires that you used to have, those things that kept you from reconciling with your family, with your friends, all that's going to fall away because it doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't even matter. You see, you will be a new person, you will be a new creation. See, all of that old stuff will fall away, but what is left and what is added is a wonder to behold. You will become held up by unshakable faith. You will be empowered by illogical love. You will be driven to persistent hope. Trials will have a taste of joy to them. Hardships will be met with perseverance, and grief will end in joy. See, when you give in to God's glory, when you go to meet God in, this, in that place, it will change the way you pray. It will change the way you live. It will change the way you think, the way you interact with people, the way you see the world. It will change what you value. It will change what you desire. It will change you. And I can see a lot of you nodding your head. You've witnessed this. Nodding the head is the Baptist way of saying Amen. So I'm with you. Guys, you will be changed because it won't actually be you anymore. It will be God's love emanating from you. And all of these things will change to match God. All of these things will change to match the model that Jesus Christ has laid out for us. And now maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, "Eh, I've heard this, but it doesn't sound good to me. Because there's still a lot of stuff I'd, I'd like, a lot of stuff I'd like to do, a lot of stuff I'd like to see. Why is this good for me? Verse 23 in Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. For those of you who said, well, why is this good for me? It's not because it's not actually about you. Isn't that weird? All that build up that we just went through, all those changes in your life that you would experience, all those amazing things that I just told you about your faith and about hope and about all these things that will build you up, is not for you. It's not for you. All of those things in your life are for the person that you're going to pass it to. That's what Hebrews is talking about here gosh, take all this opportunity, take all this amazing stuff and go give it to people. That's what he's saying. Let's come together. Let's encourage one another. Let's encourage each other to go do acts of love and selfless kindness. That's what it's for. Guys, I want you to think, I want you to think of those connections that you make throughout the day. I want you to think of the relationships that you have in your life right now those that mean a lot to you, those that maybe don't mean a whole lot to you, and maybe even those connections you haven't even figured out that you've made a connection there. Every last one of them is an opportunity for God to be present. Every last one of them is is a chance for that other person to see God, maybe for the first time in their entire life. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, you can show people the love of Christ by forgiving them. There's a few steps you might have to take to even be able to get there. And sometimes we'll put limits on that. Sometimes we'll say... Well, I'll forgive that person when they come and ask for it. Guys, when I first moved out to Seattle, I would park my car. I lived in a, in a neighborhood, small neighborhood. There was no stores or anything around us. There was no reason for anybody who didn't live on my street to be on my street. And I parked my car in the street just like everybody else. One morning I woke up to go to work and four of my tires were slashed. Nobody else's. Just mine. I didn't even know anybody. I didn't know anybody in the entire city of Seattle. And somebody took it upon themselves to slash all four of my tires. I was the most angry seminary student you could have ever met. Can you imagine the the battle going on in my head? Oh, I want that guy found, and I want him put in shackles, and I want restitutions, and I want him to know Jesus. (sighs) All the first things first, and then Jesus after. It's really difficult to forgive people. It's really difficult to be able to step past some of the things that they have done to you. You know, because we look at it and we say, well, I would have never done that. And you're going to need to be a lot more like me before I offer you any of my forgiveness. Guys, we cannot, we can't put limits. We cannot put limits on coming to God. We cannot put limits on the sacrifice that Jesus made because there are no limits. If you have your Bibles, you can jump with me. I'm going to go back to Matthew 25. I'm going to tell you the story mostly. Matthew 25 has a few different parables that Jesus is offering. And we're at a point in Jesus' ministry where he's kind of taken the fluff out of things. He's kind of turned into, look, if you're with me, come on. And he tells this story of the three servants. It starts in verse 14. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to give you an idea. So there's three servants, one master. Master decides he's going on a trip. To his servants, he gives them different amounts of money. And he says, while I'm gone, go do something with this to make me back something. And he leaves. First servant takes his money and he doubles it. Fantastic. Second servant takes that amount of money and he doubles it. Fantastic. Third servant takes his amount of money and says, I got a great idea. Digs a hole and puts it in. When the master comes back, he finds that the first two servants have doubled the amount of money that he gave them, and that's where we get the idea, well done, my good and faithful servant. And lastly, we get the, the third servant who comes up and says, well, I know that you're not a farmer, and I know that you, you get all of your money from business dealings, and I didn't want any business dealing to go badly, so I dug a hole and I put your money in there. Here's your money back. You didn't lose any. You're welcome. And the master replies with, oh, you wicked servant. You wicked, lazy servant. said, at the very least, you should have given it to a bank. At least we would have gotten some interest off of it. See, here's, here's the problem that we sometimes can run into when we're talking about bringing others to God or bringing others to Jesus. It says, one, maybe we're a little afraid that there won't be enough of God's blessing for us after we've passed them along. Well, God, I didn't, I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want to waste the blessing that you gave me, so I just didn't use it but I can give it back. I have all of it. I think there's another excuse we sometimes use too is we think those who we should be ministering to maybe they haven't completed the right sacrifices yet. Very quickly, I really want to just ruin those two excuses for us. First, our God is rich beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah? Yeah? Our God is generous beyond our wildest dreams, yeah? And our God loves us beyond our wildest dreams. He's not running out of blessings anytime soon. And he's never going to stop giving them to you anytime soon. Secondly, for that second excuse, there is not one wrong person for the gospel to be told to. Guys, we have one job. Go love people. We work on loving people well, and then we let God take care of their hearts. And if you're not willing to do that, then do as the master in the parable says. Hand your your blessings over to somebody else who will, and stay out of the way. It's a harsh way of saying it, but God means it. We have one job, and this is important. As I, I want to tell you one story, and I do hesitate to tell it, not because it's long or anything, but because it puts me in a really good light, and I don't want you to think I have this all together. <laughs> I used to work at a, a granite fabrication company in Mechanicsburg, And I would go in every morning, I'd have a smile on my face, I'd be whistling something, and if you've ever been in the church long enough while I'm here, you've probably heard me whistling at some point, it's just something I do. I never really attributed it to Christ, I never really attributed it to my own salvation, but as I got to working there and I got to know the other guys I was working with for a few years, they started to notice, well, Steve's just a little bit different. I was like, well, yeah. Yeah. Most people know that by now. But there was one other thing I noticed, is that a lot of them would stop by the same desk in the office every morning and take a pill from one of the guys who sat there every morning. Each one of them was taking an antidepressant that they were not prescribed. And then they would get in, some of them would get in their cars and they'd go on for deliveries and they'd be smoking something that isn't legal in this state yet. And I know a lot of you are sitting here saying, oh, what awful people. Yeah, you're not wrong. But I was approached one morning and the guy asked me, Steve, I don't know how you work here without being on something how do you do it? My response was not, well, until you quit doing it, I'm not telling you. My response was, oh, you're not going to like it. No. My response was, I, you know, there's only one thing I can think of. I have Jesus. And I pretty much said it just like that because I hadn't thought about it. Go figure. God working in my heart. And I didn't, I didn't even know it. Years before, I had given my life to Christ. Year, throughout the years, I had been working on my own spiritual walk. Throughout the years, I had been working on how I'm supposed to be in relationship with those that I work with. That's all God working on me. For this one moment, to let this one person come to me in a moment of weakness in himself to say, I don't know how you do it. Can you help me out? What are you doing? I don't know where that that gentleman is anymore. But I do know he heard the name of Jesus that day. And my hope is that he continues to hear it from those around him and that he continues to look out and he sees God's children spreading God's love into their own communities where he can go, they were right and I need some of that. Because really, the, the only answer I had is, well, I, I've got something better. And the great thing is, you don't need to be a particular way before you can have that something better. You don't have to complete a particular class to have that something better. You don't have to wear particular clothes or come from a particular a particular background. You just need you. That's it. He just wants you. Because that's why Jesus came. That's why he died for you. And folks, he has an amazing plan for you. He has an amazing plan for your family. He has an amazing plan for your friends. He just needs you. So if you haven't yet, I invite you this morning to come into God's presence. Accept Christ as your own personal Savior. And allow God to start working on you so that he can work through you. As you've got problems going on in your life, start with Jesus. You see a lot of problems in your small community, start with Jesus. You see problems going on in the world, what do you think I'm going to say? Start with Jesus. That's the only way. If you need hope for your every day, if you need hope for this month, if you need hope for this year, start with Jesus. If you haven't made that decision for yourself, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you today. You don't have to go to Sunday school. We have fantastic teachers. They'll be okay if you miss it. I'll talk to you. Make that decision today. And for those of us who have, use it. Let's live for Jesus today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for us to be able to come into your presence. Lord, unguarded, where we can lay everything down. Lord, where we don't have to be anything else but just me. And Lord, you'll do the work. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to bring your word to these people. Lord, I ask that it would be a blessing to them. Lord, strengthen their hearts and minds today so that they can be used for your glory. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand for the benediction? May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to him, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you.